talk about uh, self-image today and how that affects everybody. It affects everybody in the world. Jesus knew that. Everybody is what they see themselves as being in their subconscious mind. And those of us that have had severe problems with this in the past, we didn't understand why we were doing what we were doing. Dr. Maxwell Maltz, a famous plastic surgeon on the West Coast, made this discovery back in the 50s. And he would notice he would change someone cut in a car wreck and fix their scar where it was no longer visible. They'd have dramatic changes in their personality. He may take a movie star that she had a blemish, what she thought was a blemish, that she's the only one could see it. He'd fix it to satisfy her. Her career would take off. And the only thing that changed, really, was how she saw herself. He wrote a book called the crazy title of Psycho-Cybernetics. A lot of people call this the greatest discovery of the 20th century. It has been able to change millions and millions of lives. He wrote a sequel to it called The Magic Power of self-image psychology, when someone changes the way they see themselves, they will perform at the new level. So remember, God loves you, made you to operate with Him in your life. You can be a church member, but it's really about your personal relationship with Him. And pray for God to help you and then listen to your inner being, your inner cosmic habit force, subconscious mind, the Holy Spirit. Hey, it's like cheating. He'll give you guidance and direction and talk you through. Every time you go against that, you're going to be wrong. When you go with it, you're going to be right. So see yourself doing and becoming what you want to be in life. See yourself as a valuable friend. If you don't see yourself as that, you won't be that. We see these super athletes on dope now, and what has happened with them, their ability to earn money has got way above their self-image. Their image is lower than their ability to, to make money. So what happens if they don't get counseling and help and identify this, their mind will go to work and they will automatically do something to knock them back down to the level that they see. It's a sad case now with this Hernandez, that big old tight end up there for the Patriots. He's on trial for murder. $40 million contract, a mansion to live in, a beautiful girlfriend, the whole world was his oyster. Somebody, he thought, disrespected him. He killed him. He killed him. Why? He has to get that image back down. Most people peak out too young in life. Why? Because they don't believe in their self. They watch life go by. 
Some people watch it happen. Some people wonder what happens, and some people make it happen. A lot of people tease with put-downs. How many of you have ever been criticized and teased with put-downs? It's all in the news now with the bullying. When someone is criticizing you, they feel inferior to you. They're not inferior, but they feel inferior, and they try to knock you down to the level they see. There's two ways to have the biggest building in town. One is to build the biggest building in town, and the other way is to tear down all the buildings that are bigger than yours. And that's the way people do with someone they feel inferior to. Recapture belief in yourself. Jesus said what? Love your neighbor as yourself. What's he telling you? He's telling you to love to love you. Remember, in self-image psychology, a bad deed does not make a bad person. The little kid that spills India ink on the new carpet is not a bad kid. That's a child that made a mistake. Our love is not based on performance. Our love is based on them. We don't have to approve of what someone does. We can love them, but we don't have to approve them. Sometimes we have to tell them, say, hey, man, I love you. Well, we can't approve of what you're doing. You're on a self-destruct. You're on a self-destruct. So the bad deed, you know, the famous thing with Thomas Edison when he was discovering the light bulb? And a reporter asked him, said, you have tried over 10,000 times to discover this light bulb and make it burn for a while, and you failed. He said, young man, I haven't failed at all. I just simply know 10,000 ways it won't work. Right after that's when he discovered it. Why? Because he'd keep on keeping on. You can throw away your mask and be yourself. God made you to be you. You make a bad anybody else, but you make a wonderful you. And for some reason, when you start being yourself, you're going to start doing better when you picture this when you picture this happening. You're going to take criticism. You're going to be you know, you can go down to chicken country in East Texas and up in Arkansas, and that's the most modern streamlined thing there is. They got it down to a scientific way of raising broiler chickens. They got automatic waterers. They got automatic light switches. They got automatic heat and cooling. They have automatic feeders. It's really technical. There's one thing they haven't mastered. For some reason, a chicken will walk by another one and he'll peck him. They call it cannibalism. And when he pecks him, the next chicken pecks him and the next one and the next one and the next one. Somebody has to be there to take that chicken out or they're going to kill him. It happens. It happens a lot. So what about in life? 
What about when somebody starts picking on somebody? They pick on an individual because they're different. And then the rest of the school or the rest of the class or the rest of the organizations, they pick it up and they all start picking on him. Picking on him, picking on him. You know, bullying right now, that's what's causing it. They understand they feel inferior because he's different. We want to have enough of the Lord in our life and know we're going to be the one that hugs him. We want to be the one that reaches out. We want to be the one that really cares about him and shows them that they matter. It's so devastating. You know, in the era we grew up in, this didn't exist because somebody would take it up. There was no such thing. One time, they'd pick on or say something ugly to a girl or a kid or anybody. They'd say, hey, don't do that anymore. We're going to thrash you. It stopped it. You can't do that now. They file on you for everything. Back then, zero. Because people would thrash them. They wouldn't stand for it. So nobody's perfect. Don't strive to be perfect. Strive for excellence. Be excellence with the things you do. The excellent thing, if you really want to study about this, look at uh, Vince Lombardi when he started coaching the Packers. And he had Fuzzy Thurston and Max McGee and Jerry Kramer, Paul Horning, Jim Taylor. Max McGee, by the way, is from White Oak, Texas. Well, they never did strive for perfection. They strived for excellence. They ran about eight plays. The power sweep left, the power sweep right, one off tackle, one around the end, and they'd start up in the middle of the field where Paul Hornig would lead it, Jerry Kramer would pull, and Fuzzy Thurston would pull, and they'd mow them down. Paul Harning, when they got close to the goal, they'd switch roles. Jim Taylor would do the blocking, and Paul Harning would score the touchdowns. He was the golden boy for them. Actually, they, that was one of his nicknames, the golden boy. What? For perfection. They did it over and over and over again, and they won and they won and they won. They got more people in the Hall of Fame off of that those teams, those years for the Packers, than any other team. Pittsburgh is approaching them to have the most in the Hall of Fame. Why? They were excellent. Get excellence. Work on it. Work on it. Coach would say, run it again, run it again, run it again. They could run it in their sleep. I watched a whole movie on that. It's really something. It's okay to look dumb. It's okay. With a healthy self-image, we don't mind looking dumb. When you look dumb, people want to help you more. We don't have to know it all. We're not afraid of looking dumb. A guy come to see me here a while back and just graduated from Texas A&M, got his degree, made good grades, and we were visited. And I said, let me ask you something. Did you ever ask questions in class 
No, no, I wouldn't ask a question. I said, why not? You're so smart. He said, hey, I don't want to look dumb. I went all through school and never asked a question in class. Hey, you don't want to make anybody look dumb. They'll hate you forever. It's a huge thing with people. We don't mind looking dumb. It's a joke. Let's talk a little bit about negative leverage. This is so big. Parents and bosses and coaches and people that don't understand when they realize a child, I'll tell you this story. A friend of mine's son came to see me here a while back. Big old stout, good luck. In fact, he's a model. He's a male model. He walked in, he had tears in his eyes. I said, what's wrong? He said, my dad comes by here and visits with you, doesn't he? I said, yeah, he comes by some. We're friends. Well, let me tell you, Virgil. I can never do anything to please him. It is never good enough. My grades aren't good enough. My behavior, everything is just not right. I never have total approval of my dad. And he's crying. Big old stout weightlifter. He could whip a room full of tigers and guard the gate all at the same time. I said, let's understand this. Your dad loves you very much. I know that. Do you know that? And he said, well, sometimes I think it does. Most of the time, I don't think he does, Virgil. I said, let me tell you. He realizes, now folks, get this. He realizes that you are striving to please him. He doesn't understand. He thinks that if he gives his approval, you will quit striving. He said, wow. I said, we see him by the drove. When you understand that, you don't have to be upset. Don't fight with him about that. I'm going to guess you'll never have his approval. With a healthy self-image, you don't have to have anybody's approval we're answering to God. He's the one that made you. He cares about you, and he wants you to have the very best. Nobody in this world can make you feel inferior without your permission, and you don't have to give it. You can rise above it. Anytime you can jump higher, run faster, make better grades, you name it, you're going to be criticized. All the people that can't perform to your level, they're going to try to cut you down to their level. Hey, we call it marching to a different drummer. Marching to a different drummer. So forget about the negative leverage. It happens. Hey, and watch the coaches now. Last year in the Final Four, there wasn't a single in-your-face coach made it to the Final Four in basketball. In the World Series, there wasn't a single coach made it to the College Baseball World Series. That's my favorite time of year to get to watch that. What happened? They figured it out. They figured it out. You know, they asked Kingsbury the other day when that kid dropped that ball, he pitched it out the back of his elbow one foot from the goal line. 
and the commentators talked and talked about it. They said he didn't say nothing. He didn't even react. And they asked him about it after the game. He said, hey, he hates that worse than anybody. He'll never do that again. I'm not about to get on him. He already feels bad enough. Hey, we don't need to be hipping, heaping more guilt on people. What about our self-talk, your critical thoughts? Now there's so many studies on this because they found out that people that criticize their self and say, oh, Lord, I've got cancer. I'm going to die. Oh, Lord, I'm not going to live. Oh, Lord, I'm going to be sick. Oh, Lord, I'm going to feel bad. Oh, Lord. Hey, they're right. If you say you can or you say you can't, you're right. But the people that are recovering and getting well are the ones that, hey, God's going to help me. My wife's going to help me. My children are going to love me. I'm going to make it. This doctor's wonderful. This doctor has got me on some stuff that's going to get me well. Besides that, God's going to answer prayer. With this upbeat talk, you produce endorphins that aren't produced anywhere else. You can heal yourself. Read the book Norman Cousins about getting well again. He caught an incurable disease when he was in India. He was actually a author or a, uh, what am I talking about, writing for a news correspondent. He caught an incurable disease in China. He came home. They said, you're going to die. He said, I got, he got, uh, read the book. It's so good. He got, he got Groucho Marx. He, he got the Marx Brothers. He got Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. He got all the funny movies and set them up in his den. That's when you had to have a reel. And they played them and played them. And he laughed himself well. He taught a school at UCLA, a class at UCLA School of Medicine. If you wanted to take that class in medical school, you better sign up your freshman year because it was such in demand, you couldn't get there. It was all about the self-talk. What are you saying to you? What do you really say to you? You need to see yourself like God made you. I can think about it and start crying. Those of us that have dealt with this image thing, Praise the Lord, I'll tell you. My friend, we were friends from grade school. We loved each other. He never had but one job, Baker Hughes Tool, when he got out of junior college. He had to take courses he couldn't pass English. He was good at everything else. He, was a, he started out, they hired him as a draftsman. He wound up the wheel, made this room full of money. Only job he ever had, he was dying of cancer. I'd been to see him. I didn't know he was. He lived in the woodlands. I went to see him, and you couldn't tell it. He didn't know it. In the summer, he got it. And I'd call him and talk to him. They'd let me talk to him. Every Thursday, I said, Doug, what's the best day to call Clink? 
He'd say, call me on Thursday afternoon. I take chemo. I'll be over it. I'll be alert. And call me then. I'd call him every week and visit with him. And here's what he'd say. He said, I'm going to win either way. If I die, I win. If I live, I win. Hey, his company thought so much of him. He was retired. They put him back on the payroll so they could pay for all his cancer expense. He didn't even ask them. He didn't even tell them he was sick. They just found it out. That's the kind of guy that he is and was. Anyway, I'd call, we'd visit. One day, I said, his name's Klinsky. I said, Clink, you know, I'll tell you who the winners are in this. Everybody, but the big winners. He said, who? Your grandchildren. What do you mean? I said, they're going to get to see how a Christian gentleman faces adversity and handles it. You're going to be the poster guy for this. You've been that way all your life. He said, I'm going to do it. One day I called. I said, he can't talk. And he passed away. But he died happy. He's in heaven today. Why? Because he did the things it took to feel good about himself. If you want to do good, there's a lot of people come see me and say, hey, I know you can show me how to get ahead. How are you going to get ahead? Start doing everything you can to feel good about yourself. Quit doing anything that makes you feel bad about yourself. I said that to a guy here a while back. Some of the feed yards that sent him in to see me, I shouldn't be laughing. I can't help it. He, I told him that, and he said, well, that's too much to do all at once. I said, well, pick you out two or three and try them. <laughs> anyway, I don't know what happened to him. But that's, again, that's back to how bad, how bad do we want it? We don't have to always be knights in shining armor, and be so dignified. Go ahead. Love people. Care about them. Reach out to them. We don't care what anybody thinks. Always remembering a lot of ladies say, well, I'm afraid of what my mother-in-law will think. I said, hey. Be yourself. Love her. Don't respond to that negative. That's the, way it, that's the way it stops it. You ever go to a school with a goosey kid and they goose him and he jumps and hollers? It's fun. What happens when he quits jumping and hollering? Everybody leaves him alone because it's not fun anymore. Giving will enhance your self-image. Practice the life that leads to success. Stop that that breeds failure. Stop the things that are setting you back. Why you deliberately do it? When you understand self-image, that's why we're doing it. 
You don't see yourself as being able to do it. So you don't. The most fundamental kind of love underlines all type of love. It's brotherly love. What did Jesus say? Love your neighbor, what? As yourself. It's best. And quit punishing yourself when you do something wrong. Sometimes we're going to do something. I'm just, I'm going to be so wrong, I'm going to leave a puddle. It's going to run off of me. Just ignorant. I-G-N-U-R-T. What happens? I need your love. I need your acceptance more then than I do when I'm on top, batting a thousand, hitting every one of them. We all go through that. Let's talk about the wife's self-image. The wife's self-image is controlled by what the dominant male in her life thinks of her and treats her. It could be her daddy or uncle or husband or whoever. It's the dominant male in her life. That's who she looks up to. So if he tells her, you're too fat, you can't cook, the house is messy, all of this, you destroy her. You are stabbing her at her very being. I can go violent over it. It is so terrible. The male's ego is controlled by how he does in the marketplace. Hey, he can dig a ditch deeper and straighter than anybody. You know, he can tie more bundles than anybody else. He can do more operations. Whatever it is he's doing that he's good at, that controls his self-image. So if someone else tries to put him down, he don't do anything about it. You remember when uh, the do-gooders got after Kathy Griffin and Michael Jordan? They were both being a spokesman for a clothing company they said was working child labor in the East and on and on and on. Well, Kathy Griffin and I had a nervous breakdown over it. It put her sick. Why? She accepted that criticism. They asked Michael Jordan, well, you're, opera, you're doing the same thing. He said, hey, man, I don't pray. I don't cook. I don't do the clothes. I just endorse them. So get out of my face. Stopped it. Why? He wasn't fun. He wouldn't react. He wouldn't fight with them. So if you don't get anything else, get how you treat the ladies in your life. I could go on like this forever on that. We've seen so much of it. It reveals our character. It reveals our character. People for years made fun of how I treated my wife. She never put gas in her car. She didn't have to do nothing because she believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. I'd do anything in the world for her. That reveals. You think she didn't like it? Well, sure she liked it. She could do anything she wanted to.
And who did that help the most? Who does it help the most? Well, it helped me. It fits right over there where Jesus says, who's going to be the greatest? The one that's a servant. And we tell people all the time, they say, well, I'm struggling with this. I've got to be this. I, you know, they say, so let's come meet with us. we got to talk about this. I say, hey, how can you give more service? How can you step it up a notch? Well, I don't know if we can afford it. I said, you can't afford not to. You can't afford not to. Because if you're, going, if you're not a giver in life, you're not going to do as well. In life, the givers are happy. The takers are miserable. We all know people that are takers. My old timey ink pen, when they'd leave a blob of ink and they'd take a blotter and soak it up, it'll never come out. It's going to be in that blotter from now on. We all know people that you can do and do and do for you. They're just like that blotter. They're going to soak it up and they wouldn't do a quarter's worth something to somebody else. Don't be mad at them. We really need to love them because they're going to need more friends. You could call a meeting of their friends and hold it in a telephone booth because they ain't got that many. They're a taker. You know, it's uh, study the Jordan River. A friend of mine went to Israel. I said, bring me a detailed map back of the Jordan River. I've been studying the one in the Bible, and it's small. Jordan River starts up in the Hermon Mountains up there, and it runs about 160 miles down and goes into the Sea of Galilee. All that water's good. Jesus ate fish out of the Sea of Galilee, they still do. They got a special perch they catch out of the sea. It's really just a big old lake. It's big and it's really deep. And the water goes out of there and runs down another about 140 or 50 miles into the Dead Sea. When it gets to the Dead Sea, it's dead. A friend of mine's over there staying there helping them on a dig on Sodom and Gomorrah, and he brought me a picture back, shows him sitting in the Dead Sea, he can't sink. <laughs> he looks so funny, sitting in that thing with his knees up and his elbows out, and he's grinning like a possum <laughs> in the Dead Sea. Well, why? Nothing flows out. That's the lowest place on earth. What is it, 1,300 feet below sea level? Where's it going to go? What about in our life? Are we so low that we just keep? You're going to sour. Become a giver. A lot of people, they talk about raising money, and they're sitting there thinking, how what's the little I can give? How about thinking how much we can give? A friend of mine asked me one time, he couldn't read and write. He accepted the Lord sitting on our couch. And there was a fundraiser going on. This guy made a lot of money. He had a bunch of trucks and made money. 
And he said, how much do you think I ought to give? I said, man, don't ask me that. Ask the Lord. I'm not in charge of nothing. He said, well, I want you to tell me. I said, I ain't going to tell you. That's between, that's between you and the Lord. And he said, well, I don't have a clue. He really didn't. I said, I'll tell you what. Give till it feels good. Give till it feels good. And that'll be the right amount. The Lord will tell you that. Instead of trying to keep, keep from giving, keep working on you. Avoid the very appearance of evil. Quit doing it. We know that someone that has a wreck, if they're not careful in two weeks, they'll have another one. If you get a ticket, if you're not careful, you'll get another one in, a, in another two weeks because your mind is playing this over and over and over and you make it happen. We'll talk about that in the next lesson. When we get to subconscious mind, we don't have to be tough. A lot of people, you know, they laughed about the game last night. These guys had no long sleeve shirt on playing in that sub-zero chill factor. They said, I'm above that. I'm over that after several years. A lot of them did it. That's fine. If it makes them feel good, we don't have to be tough. We don't have to be tough. Jesus cried. You can be wrong and it makes you look good. Work on loving everybody. Look for the good. Who does that help the most? Sometimes you want to cry, go ahead. You ever been where you couldn't cry? I spent 15 years, I couldn't cry. It's terrible. When the Lord came into my life and it changed, man, I couldn't cry anywhere. I'm so thankful. I am so thankful we don't have to. Be true to yourself. You know, I say all the time to people, uh, be you. You make a bad anybody else. You make a wonderful you. I told a kid that, you know, he's been locked up and he's out and he's doing wonderful today. I said, you make a bad anybody else. The only time that your deal don't work is when you quit being you. He got quiet and he said, you know, that's right. Keep it up. Read the Bible. Feed your mind. Be grateful to your dad and your mom and your grandparents. Get an attitude of gratitude. Pray the fruits of the Spirit every day and see what that does for you. Be a servant. Get over there in Philippians 4 and read what it says to think about. Quit hanging around the bad people. Everybody becomes like the people they hang around. I didn't think of that. It's right out of the Bible. A kid I was helping, he'd, I'd pick him up every day and take him with me. He wouldn't get on drugs if he was with me. And his mom would watch him at night. They was fixing to send him off. One day he said, I want to stay home today. I promise I won't leave the house. I said, well, it's your life. Yeah, I want to do it. I said, okay. Next morning when I picked him up, he said, well, I found it. I said, you found what? He said, I sat out in the backyard in the shade of a tree yesterday, 
And this guy thumbed through the Bible and found that scripture, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter and the 33rd verse. Bad company corrupts good character. Everybody this guy run with is either locked up or dead. He changed. You wouldn't know him today. You wouldn't know him. I love the guy. What happened? He started hanging out. And by the way, he's the same guy in the Dead Sea that time, too. So visualize your success. How do you see it? How do you see it? You know, uh, they're using this a lot now with uh, psychologists traveling with the golfers, basketball players, but it's really big with baseball hitters. If you want the book for it, get uh, Dr. Peel's book, Dynamic Imaging. See it. See the bat hit the ball. See the ball hit the bat. Concentrate on it. Pray and ask the Lord to clear your mind and let you think. You know, when my grandson Jaden came to live with us, he can hit. He can play. I said, to really be good at this, visualize. He started visualizing. By the way, he batted 450 that year. He lived with us, played baseball, and led every hitter in the whole panhandle of Texas with a 450 batting average, 4A and 5A. What happened? Boom, he'd see it. You know, they were talking about Tony Gwynn the other day on ESPN, and this guy that was a friend of his, he said, I love to watch him bat. He's one of the greatest hitters that ever played the game. He said, you know why? The guy said, no, why? He expects to hit it. He expects to hit it. What do we expect? How do we expect to respond instead of react? Expect to visualize how you see yourself. It's so great to do that. Okay, picture more happier moments. You can restore your confidence and look for the good. You know, some people... They look, all they see is the bad. There's so much good out there. Let's focus on. Example I use for that is when you're programmed to see the bad, that's what you see. You take a fat cattle buyer, and he walks in a pen of fat cattle. He can spot the bad one in about 30 seconds. If he'd say, Virgil, pick out the bad one. Well, we're going to be there a long time. I really don't know what to look for. We know people, they don't know to look for the good because they have programmed their mind to see everything bad. That's why there's feast and famine in the same marketplace. There's people going broke and having tax problems on the same day in the same town for the same price doing the same thing. And we were at a meeting here a while back and the Federal Land Bank guy was there and I said, ask him, I said, hey, who buys a farm when the guy goes broke? He looked around. I said, tell us. Tell us, Ted. He said, the guy next door. This guy went broke right across the turn row. 
This guy can buy the farm. Why? The way he sees it. The way he sees it. So remember in Romans 8 and 28, do we really believe that? Everything in time in the Bible, when something bad happened to somebody, God replaced it with something better. There's not a single case where it's just as good. It is better every time. In fact, I wear a bracelet. I had a maid that says that. Romans 8 and 28. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. You know, the guy in the office the other day said, you got to help me. i got to put my loan package together. I'm going to, i got to go. I don't think they're going to renew me loans. I said, hey, hey, quit talking like that. Get all your stuff and go in and expect to get it. And I said, do you believe Romans 8 and 28? Well, he's too embarrassed to say he didn't. He said, yeah, I believe it. I said, well, let's show we do. Go in expecting it. And we practiced and he rehearsed and the other bank had turned him down. He went in. I called a friend of mine. I said, who's the best loan officer down there? And he told me, I said, go see this guy. I didn't know him. A friend of mine knew him. He called me back and he was so excited. You could tell he didn't expect. Hey, they approved my loans. I'm going to get to farm another year. I said, see, God's in control. Pay attention. Listen. Get it on. Focus on what you want instead of what you don't want because you'll make it happen. What do you really want? They say, well, I don't know. You don't? Who does? Who does? I had a lady stay in class one time. She's a recovering alcoholic, beautiful, like a movie star, sweetest lady. She managed a doctor's office. She'd been sober a while. And she stayed late one night after class and said, you know, Virgil, she's in her 30s. I think I'd like to get married again. Her, her life would make a novel. She lived up with the hippies up in northern New Mexico and southern Colorado. She'd go in a bar and play like she's blind with this dog, and everybody, they'd buy her drinks. She said, I could get drunk, cheap, free. She'd been sober a while and said, I think I'll get married again. I said, well, good. I said, what kind of guy you want? Well, you know. I said, I don't know. Well, I don't, you know. I said, I don't have a clue. What kind of guy are you looking for? So, well, I said, I'll tell you what. Go home and make a list this week of all the things you're looking for in a husband that you'd like to have. Bring it back next week and we'll talk about it. So she came back next week and she had it all figured out. That he has to love the Lord. He has to understand alcoholism and what I go through to stay sober. I'd like to have him a recovering alcoholic. He has to like dogs. He has, and she went down this long list. I said, now you know what you're looking for. You can identify it. 
We're going to talk about that in the next lesson about having goals and understanding. Hey, you know what? She found that guy in just a few months. He was just exactly what she was looking for. You know what? It was somebody she had known a long time and admired. Never thought of him like that. That's why we need to identify. We need to identify and know what we want. So when we love others, we are closer to ourselves and to a healthy self-image. Jesus said, what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Look for the good. Look for the good. Know someone who makes a derogatory remark every time they see somebody? We call them acid personalities. They're not inferior. They feel inferior. It's like pouring acid on a pretty rose. It, it just melts. Well, we have a healthy self-image. They don't affect us, but they do affect a lot of people. And they don't realize what they're doing. I had a guy stay after class one time. He said, well, that's the way I kid with my wife. It's a joke. I said, it ain't no joke. It's terrible. Quit it. Tell her you love her. You're revealing your inferiority feelings, and you're killing her. I told a guy the other day, he said, well, the way you're telling this, it's my fault that my wife had an affair. I said, absolutely. You rejected her and criticized her and talked down to her. You have forced her to prove to herself that she can find a man. I said, she'd find a lot of them. And a bunch of them going to be better than you. Well, this guy had a lot of money. He didn't think he had to play by the rules. He called me the other day and said, I don't think I can get her back. I said, well, you'll know on the next one. You need to change and quit being critical and put downs. Nobody wins with that. When someone feels inferior to you, they will not pass up the chance to put you down. Deal with it. The children now, I can't tell you the people that bring kids where they got to understand this is, you know, I got a friend, got a daughter that's good at everything, brother. I mean, she's something. She catches hell. But now she knows. The teachers hug her. The principal loves her. The coach will kill you over her because she can score more points. She's better looking. She's smart. She's got the whole package and got a mother and daddy that loves her. And what? They figured this out. They started young, building her self-image, telling her, you can, you can, you can, baby. You can. You're so smart. You're so nice. You're so wonderful. We think you're the best daughter in the world. But when someone gets a chance, they're going to knock you down or try. It's up to us. Nobody can make you feel bad without your permission. We call it shaking the rag at the puppy. How many of you ever took a rag and played with a puppy? The puppy will attack the rag as long as you shake it. They will totally exhaust herself. It's a reaction. 
What about when you answer criticism? What about when you respond in a negative way? They need to see. I told someone the other day, they need to see that as ugly as they're acting, it has zero effect on you. You don't answer to them. You answer to God. We march into a different drummer. They're not going to make us feel bad. Quit reacting. So what happens then, when you react to what they do, you're shaking the rag at the puppy. They're going to keep it up. They're going to keep it up. They're going to keep it up. Throw the rag down. You know, our answer to that's one answer only. Someone walks up and says, so-and-so said this about you, blah, blah, blah. I say, hey, wonder why they said that. Then shut up and see what happens. They'll take after them like a biting dog. If you defend yourself, nobody will. If you don't defend yourself, everybody will. Study the life of Billy Graham. He never answered a critic. Never. When that guy at the Washington Post attacked him, he's jealous. Every president has had Billy Graham come to the White House and spend the night. This guy was so jealous of him, he badmouthed him all the time. Someone said, well, Dr. Graham, I watched him interviewing about it. They asked him, said, well, Dr. Graham, what about that guy attacked you? He said, I'm never going to answer that. He's entitled to his opinion. Hey, he's really smart. He's got a great job. He's a reporter for the paper. Why would I want to answer that? <laughs> Everybody in the world defend him, be sick and all the dogs on him. Okay, you can look at your relationships like a bank account. Are we making deposits? Or are we making withdrawals? We all know people that the only time they call you and want you is when they want something. They're not there to make a deposit. And again, they could have a meeting of their friends in the telephone booth. Occasionally, you're going to be complimented. People are going to say, man, that was so nice. Thank you. You helped my son. You helped me. Whatever it is, you helped them. You plowed my field when I was sick. Whatever. The only answer to that is thank you. Or, thank you very much. I like the short one better. If we're not careful and we don't have a healthy self-image, we say, oh, it wasn't nothing. That didn't amount to nothing. Well, that's a pretty coach you got. Well, I got it at garage sale. They put down every compliment. A person with a poor self-image will put down every compliment you try to give them. Hey, be careful putting anybody down. You're criticizing something God made. I don't want to be guilty of that. And what about people that criticize the preacher? Okay, nearly all happiness comes from our relationships. Are we working on them? Do you have more friends now than you had a month ago, a year ago? Or we got less? Nobody's standing still. We're moving one way or another. So when we accept a compliment, say thank you. Some people see everybody as what they can do for them. It's reverse. 
What Jesus say? Matthew 20, 26. Be a servant. It's what you can do for them. A friend of mine was the first guy to ever put a trailer behind a pickup and drive up at the feed yard at 5 o'clock in the morning with the medicine there. We Hey, we got three loads of cattle last night. They got to be doctored. He said, well, I got enough here in this trailer that you can get going and get to running them, and I'll get the rest of it to you. He figured on this for a long time. He'd come by. He'd come by the office early in the morning when the coffee room was open, and he said, let me tell you what I'm thinking about doing. I'm thinking about doing this. I'm going to get a trailer, and I'm going to go on, on, going on, on. I said, man, you ought to do it. You ought to do it. He did it. Then he turned around and had a diesel motor put in the pickup because it was cheaper. He figured all this out. Let me tell you what. He led America selling medicine that year. The guy in second place was $500,000 behind him. <laughs> and they said, you got, we want you to give a talk at the big meeting in Kansas City. He came in there and said, what in the world am I going to do? They got me wanting to do a talk. My company is putting pressure on me to get up and give a talk about this. What am I going to do? We sat there a minute, and I said, do it on Matthew 20, 26, about being a servant. That's a great idea. He got it all ready and went up there and did the talk. Everything went good, and he come in and walked back in the office, and I said, what happened? I said, it was terrible. Nobody got it. <laughs> Why? You start talking about being a servant. Well, watch the look on their faces. Hey, man, I'm wanting to be served. I don't want, I don't want to be a servant. So how do we see ourselves? Don't be a fair-weather friend. Be a good-weather friend. Be the first one to them. Are you a valuable friend? Hey, like yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Deposit in the bank accounts. Be an uplifter instead of taking it out. Put yourself in other people's shoes. Look at them. We don't know what they're dealing with. I know horror stories about this. It's terrible. But when we change and start looking for the good, let me tell you this Brian Tracy story he told. I just love it. Brian Tracy tells the story of a guy in New York got on a subway one Sunday morning with three children. And he went back and sat down. He's sitting next to a guy, and he just hung his head. And he just sat there, and his kids just went wild. They were running up and down the aisles, jumping in the seats, swinging on the handbars. They were just disturbing the whole place. And it was awful. And this guy sitting next to him is thinking, this guy don't care about nothing. Why would only do something about those children bothering everybody, disturbing everybody? Pretty soon he said, Sir, do you realize how your children are acting? And the guy straightened his head up and he said, Yeah, yeah, I do. It's awful. I don't know what to do. He said, Their mother just died. <laughs> 
and we leave in the hospital. We're headed home to plan a funeral. I don't know what to do. All of a sudden, <laughs> those kids wouldn't bother nobody. They started hugging them. They started giving them gum. Have a candy bar. Come over here and sit with me. What happened? The way we look at it, the paradigm changed. We want the right paradigm. We want to look at it like that instead of what's wrong. I told a lady, I said, you know, she couldn't, her son was awful. I loved him. He got over everything. She said, he'll do what you say. Can you get him to wear some better blue jeans? I said, here, have a $100 bill. Go buy you something. You need to be rewarded for finding everything that's wrong. Can't you be thankful that he's not locked up? That he's a citizen? Hey, he's got a bank account and a savings account. He's got a full-time job. He don't even get a speeding ticket. Said, well, I guess that's right. I said, yes, ma'am, that's right. Start looking for the good. There's a lot of it out there. All you got to do is get me to change my paradigm and look for it. You can say to yourself, the me I see is the me I'll be. Everybody is what they see themselves as being in their subconscious mind. How do you see yourself? What you see is what you get. Picture yourself about how you feel about yourself and analyze that. How we do that. A friend of mine here a while back hired a couple of guys and I knew them. I said, you're going to love these kids. they just out of college. He said, why don't you say that? I said, these guys have never got infected by the world. They have lived clean lives. They've been citizens. They've been students. I know them. I watched them grow up. It is so rare to see somebody that grew up and never got infected like the rest of us. I said, their thought process is pure. They're going to think the right thought immediately. They're going to make good decisions, and you're going to love them. He said, wow. I said, wait and see. You're going to love them. I said, hey, if you ask me something, I got it run it through about four filters before I get the right answer, before I knew to run it through my filters with God's direction. Huh. You wouldn't like it. It wouldn't be good. So keep you cool when something bad happens. React with love. Supposed to be mad and upset. When you go against the grain, swimming upstream, going against the tide, makes you different. <laughs> we want to be. We want to be different. And we want to be on the side of the Lord. So how do we respond to bad situations? You know, I got a stick in my office leaned up in the corner. It's a bigger stick is what we call it. I got it wrote on it. It's about 
six and a half, seven foot tall, got a gray tape down on the handle. It's at the bottom, it's probably three inches across, and it's tapered. And then a lot of people in life, they'll say, well, he done this, hold on. I said, hey, hey, you want my bigger stick? Take my bigger stick and go get you some of it. It's a joke. We don't want a bigger stick. We want a bigger container of love. That's how we're going to respond, you know. Uh, when Jaden was living with us, he had a pickup. He was at school one day, and he and his friend pulled out. Somebody flying down the street, and bam, they took the front end off that pickup. He called me. He said, where are you? I said, I'm driving down the street. I got a, I had a wreck. I had a wreck, and my pickups tore up. I said, are you hurt? He said, no, I'm not hurt. Anybody with you? Yeah, but he ain't hurt. I said, what about the other car? It's tore all to pieces. But nobody hurt. I said, don't worry about that. I'll be right there. Stopped at the body shop, told my friend, I said, send a record down there to pick this pickup up, and we need to get it fixed. I drove up down there, and I was praying before I got there. Parked, big crowd, police, teachers, kids. Here he comes. Jane come walking across the street. I said, are you hurt? No, sir. Hug him. I said, who else in the wreck? Someone told I said, let's go see him. Walked across the street. I said, you hurt? No, sir. I'm not hurt. Who else? I was driving this other car. I said, you hurt? No, sir. I said, well, you don't have to worry. Jane's got insurance. He can fix your car or replace it. It doesn't matter. As long as nobody's hurt, why be mad over a car? They make them every day, and they'd do anything in the world to sell them. How are we going to react? Look at what you got left. Instead of what you lost, a lot of people aren't able to look at what they— Let me tell you this story. It was a difficult time. I wouldn't get out of the house— I was laying on a pillow watching Dr. Robert Shuler one Sunday morning, early. He was on with our power, and he told this story. There's a guy went up to his office. He's on about, I think he's on the fifth floor of the Tower of Hope. I've been there, been in his office. Beautiful. He came in and said, I'd like to see Dr. Shuler. And they said, sir, you have an appointment? And he said, no, ma'am, I don't. He said, well, he's kind of booked up. He said, well, I'd sure like to see him. I'm fixing to take my life. They said, wait a minute. They walked back there and said, go on back. So he goes back. Dr. Shuler was asking him, Quest, what happened? Why are you going to do this? He said, well, I'm married and got two grown daughters, and we're all happy. We've been very successful. I got in the market. And the thing turned down, and I couldn't get out. And I just lost a lot of money, a lot of money. 
And he said, I just can't handle it. I can't face my wife and these daughters and things. Said, I'm fixing to take my life, and I just want to visit with you before I do. And I won't do it on your premises. I'm going to drive off. He could get out old Chapman Street and go down toward Disney World, Disneyland. He said, I'll. He said, well, wait a minute. You lost this money? He said, yeah, I did, Doc Shuler. It's just devastated me. He said, let me ask you something. How much you got left? He said, $400,000. Put it in perspective. Always look at what you got left. Instead of what we lost, it's the devil's business to make us focus on what's gone instead of what we have left. We've used that to help so many people. I had this lady walk in one morning. I knew her. She pulled I sat where I could see out the front door. She come walking up the hall, man. She's madder than a jap. Come walking up there and had a big old fancy fur coat on, throwed it down on the couch and sat down and said, you got to do something. I said, do what? Save my marriage. My husband, he'll listen to you. And it's just not working. It's bad. And I've had all of it I want to have. And going on and on, I, I looked at her and I said, man, that's a pretty coat. Where'd you get that coat? My husband got it for me. I said, he did? Yeah. I said, it looked like a new car you drove up in. Yeah, it is. It's a Buick. It is really nice. I said, where'd you get that? My husband bought it for me. I said, and you thinking all this? I said, reach up there and get that piece of paper, that scratch pad laying there, and a pen. I said, is there anything about him you like? She said, yeah. I said, what is it? Well, he's excellent with her daughter. Now, he's a great daddy. That daughter loves him. She can't wait till he gets home every night. I said, write that down. I said, uh, is he making enough money? Well, yeah, we got everything. My husband works. He works long hours at the feed yard, and he just went on. I just, you get where I'm going with this, folks? I said, write down five things you like about him. Because she's focused on what's wrong. I said, write down five things. I said, would you try an experiment? She said, yeah, I'll do what you say. I said, okay, here's what we do. What's his favorite dish? She told me. I don't remember what it was. I said, tonight, I'd been in their home. He'd come through the garage and two big steps, and he'd step in the kitchen. I said, when he steps in that kitchen tonight, you grab him around the neck and kiss him, tell him you love him. Hand him that piece of paper and say, babe, here's five things I appreciate about you, and then shut up. See what happens. As she did. He went on, took a shower, came back in. She had supper ready, his favorite meal, and the baby was there, everybody. Next morning, she called me when I got to work. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. I said, what? It's the best night we've had in months. 
We stayed up and visited. We got in the car and drove around with the kid, went through to the Dairy Queen, got everybody ice cream. It was the nicest night we've had in months. It was so good. You know what I said? I said, who changed? He didn't even know it. When we put the right stuff in, we get the right stuff out. Those of you that run a computer know that. If we put the bad stuff in, we get the bad stuff out. Hey, who does it help the most? So change your self-image and you will change to be what you see. Elevate your self-image and you will rise to that level. How do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? May I suggest that you see yourself like Jesus does? You know, I've got a deal on my wall in my office. This lady was a nun, and we'd done a lot of things working with them about all this stuff. And she was quoting Ethel Waters, the famous singer. Her famous song was His Eyes on the Sparrow. And she was in England to sing that at a Billy Graham crusade. And somebody walked up to her and said, Ms. Waters, how do you explain this guy? Come over here. He can pack any stadium in the world, anywhere. People come to him. They want to hear what he's got to say. You know what she said? said, sir, God don't sponsor no flops. <laughs> and she, her mother, had one of them sewing deals with a needle and thread, made that sign and framed it. It's hanging on my wall. You're not a flop. Nobody's a flop that don't choose to be. God loves you. Be the one he wants you to be. Listen to him. He'll make you look like a genius. Thank you.